I'm going to talk to my friend Brian, because he has got a brain the size of a planet. And uh, yes, and uh, because I know he loves the Lord and can help us uh, unpack what we mean by heaven. So some of our ideas about heaven, Brian, are perhaps not necessarily ones that we've picked up from the Bible. What, do you, what would you uh, say about our ideas of heaven? It's interesting, I think, that our ideas of heaven are largely drawn from the things that we see or from what is out there in our culture. The things that we sing are quite interesting, aren't they? I'm probably going to wreck one of the Christmas carols for you now, so apologies for doing that in, in advance. We shall see him but in heaven, when like stars his children crowned, all in white shall wait around. That sounds horribly boring, doesn't it? Very insipid. Um, it, you know, it reminds me of queuing up for an ultrascan as much as it does for, for anything joyful that you've talked about testimonies this evening of what it's like in heaven. Um, or alternatively, the playing of harps. And yet, I, I've never seen Mark introduce as part of the School of Mission a discipleship course which includes learning how to play a harp so we can be ready for heaven. We've got those real mixtures there. <laughs> I think in general, the Bible has, has three main things that it means when it, when it talks about heaven. The first of it is just simply the extraterrestrial creation. Psalm 19 talks about the heavens declaring the glory of God. And it's referring to that, that image that we get when we look at the night sky. We've sung about it in that first song um, the, the, this evening. And it, it was there in our, our reading from 1 Corinthians as well. Sometimes it just simply means the sky above. So in Gethsemane, when Jesus prays, John records that he looks up to heaven and prays. And I think what he's talking about there is that Jesus simply lifts his, voice up, lifts his face up to pray. And the other thing which is very specific, I think, is that heaven in the Bible largely is the special abode of God, the special place where God rests and exists. We, we pray according to what Jesus taught us, our Father in heaven. It's pointing to that place of, of God's existence. It's a place from which all spiritual blessings come, as Paul reminds us in Ephesians. And it's the place where our eternal inheritance is in safe keeping. Uh, both 1 Peter and Colossians refer to that, a bit like a sort of a, a, a bank vault where we know that our inheritance we've, we've entrusted is in God's hands. And that idea of God's abode in heaven is, I think, something that we begin to glimpse in the early chapters of Revelation as well. Just two other um, mentions of it. In Matthew's Gospel, Matthew always writes about Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven. If you read Luke's Gospel, Luke talks about kingdom of God. They're both talking about the same thing. It's just that Matthew, using his Jewish background, doesn't want to include the word God because it's too holy in the text. So they're both talking about the same thing, about God's kingdom coming and resting with us. 
And in some places, I think heaven does get used as shorthand for heaven and earth. And that's certainly true of a lot of writers. I think that's what's there in some of the hymns as well. But I'm sure we'll explore that a bit later on. Great. Thanks, Brian. So we've talked about how the word heaven can be interpreted or perhaps misinterpreted. Um, and just to sort of ground us then in what we are going to be thinking about uh, biblically was our lesson from Corinthians. And what came across so forcefully in that reading was how the resurrection of Jesus is foundational to our faith. In other words, our faith is completely based on the fact that Jesus rose again from the dead, so that there is something that happened on that first Easter that changed everything around death and the afterlife, as it were. So what probably we're all thinking about in terms of us personally when we think about heaven is probably that big question of what happens when I die. That's why when I have these big theological questions, I turn to Brian. <laughs> Brian, what happens to us when we die? If you listen to some philosophers, they say that's it. Um, we die, nothing more happens afterwards. I find that a very dispiriting view of what hope might mean for the future. Again, one of you mentioned in your testimonies that part of what brought you to Christ was actually hope for the future. And there's one atheist cosmologist who wrote this, the more the universe seems comprehensible, the more the universe seems pointless. I'd really want to tackle him on that. The more the universe seems comprehensible, the more I would want to praise and worship a wonderful creator God and want to be with him. But as you say, Sue, the story of resurrection changes everything. Paul has a slightly detailed argument in 1 Corinthians 15, and I'd urge you to go back and read what we um, read earlier on in, in the service this morning, this evening, because Paul is taking us on a journey through people who are saying there is no resurrection. And Paul is saying, well, if that's what you believe, these are the consequences. And then he says, but Christ has been raised from the dead. And Jesus' resurrection changes everything for us. However, the Bible is not over-specific on what then happens. So I can't give something absolutely specific on this. But I believe that what it does tell us, and I'll look at that in a minute, is, is that it's, it's something that can be, is very comforting to us, both if we're fearing death itself. Now, I think all of us at times will probably fear the way we die, you know, might that be something that's a long drawn out illness or a bad accident or whatever it might be. And some of us may have had loved ones who've died as a result of those things. But I believe that we can be comforted that God cares for us beyond death, that that death is not the end and that there is more to come. In the Old Testament, it was believed that those who died went to a rather sort of shadowy place called Sheol. It was the place of the dead, and it was a fairly murky place, and nobody really was quite sure what was going to happen in that place. But as the Old Testament times developed, and certainly by the time of Jesus, there was a very clear understanding of some form of resurrection. So you talked earlier about when... Um, Lazarus died, and when he, Jesus has that conversation with Martha, 
And when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he's actually responding to a statement that Martha made. He said, yeah, well, I believe in a resurrection at some stage in the future. And Jesus says, actually, that's going to be found in me. And that's where some of that reassurance comes from. Certainly the Sadducees didn't believe in it at all. And that's why we have some of the rather strange ways in which they come and question Jesus in Holy Week. On the cross, Jesus was taunted by one of the terrorists who was crucified with him. He just let rip at Jesus with, with a mouthful of bile and anger. But the other man who was, ter- who was crucified with Jesus said, says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember, these are two men who are hanging on the cross. Death is going to be within hours at the most. And this terrorist says to Jesus, remember me when you come in your, into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. So Jesus is promising that guy who was on the cross next to his, that when he had died, he would be with Jesus in, in paradise. It's a word that's borrowed from the Persian language, and it simply means a walled garden. It was a word that was used in Jesus' time to describe Eden, a place of great beauty, a place of great rest. And I, I mention that place of being a place of rest because one of, the, one of the other common descriptions of what happens after we die is that we are asleep. And we sleep awaiting something further to happen. The other phrase that gets used is that we are with Christ. So we are in a place of security. We are in a place where we are loved by God, where God is there. And we are asleep. We had that actually in that 1 Corinthians passage as well. They're comforting, even if they don't give us the level of detail that maybe we would like. You know, we would like a route map, perhaps, you know, so we can follow where we're going. Um, but that, that isn't there, I don't think, in the Scriptures. What, it, what we are given is that we are at rest and we are with Christ. And we may get glimpses of that in some of the early chapters of Revelation, the phrase in, in, in where, where it talks about the souls under the altar and so on. There's something there, I think, which is perhaps pointing to people who are in that post-death situation. I hope they are, they, those things are comforting to us. But there are things which are, the focus in the, in the New Testament is far more on something that goes beyond that initial stage after we have died, where we are at rest in Christ, protected by him, loved by him, surrounded by his, his peace, surrounded by his joy for something further. So to, to sort of recap, Ryan, in a way, although we talk about heaven being a place, it's perhaps more helpful sometimes to think of it as a position that we are in Christ, as you say, and when we die, we know that we will be with yeah. him. But you're suggesting that the, that the Bible talks more about something in the future, if you yeah. like, something that we yeah. are looking forward to, something that is coming, that yeah. is to do with heaven. Yeah. So, right, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have it, I think, at the end of that passage that Marta read for us from 1 Corinthians 15, where 
where we talk where, uh, where Paul talks about um, us being raised with imperishable bodies. It's the final bringing of a renewed heaven and a renewed earth, which we then inhabit. And we're going to look at more about that coming again at, at next month or, or one after in, in the series. But I want to focus more on, on the destination than on anything else at the moment this evening. When King Charles had the crown placed on his head yesterday, there was that incredible trumpet fanfare that, that, that rang out in Westminster Abbey, followed by all the other instruments throwing their weight behind the trumpets as they, as they played. It was a beautiful sound that, that, that came in beautiful music. And Paul uses that same aspect of the trumpet sounding in both in Corinthians and in when he writes to the church in Thessalonica. And it's a, the sound which announces that the King of Kings is coming in great glory. He's going to return. The one who died on the cross, the one who was raised, the one who was ascended and exalted in heaven will return one day to us. And that return will bring together those who have died in the faith of Christ, together with those who are in the faith at the time of that return. It's a time of reunion, a time of great joy and celebration. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says that those who are still alive at that time will rise up in the air to meet in the clouds with the returning Savior. Now, we may get the idea that that means we're going to be sort of floating around on clouds afterwards. But actually, if you were alive at the time, you would have known exactly what Paul was talking about. When a conquering king returned from the wars with the hero army with him, the whole of the city would go out of the city and walk a certain way out of the city along the road to actually greet the returning heroes. And there'd be great celebrations and whoops and everything else going on as they went out. But they didn't stay outside the city, they came back in again. And the whole thrust of Jesus coming again, of our being reunited with, we're alive when he comes, with those who've gone before us, is from heaven to earth. And that's what's going on in Thessalonians. We find it again at the end of Revelation. Those of you who were with us last summer will remember right at the end of the book, we have the New Jerusalem, which is the community initially of God's people rather than anything physical. And John in his vision sees the New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven to earth. There's renewal of heaven and renewal um, of earth as well. And our eternal future is as embodied people in a renewed earth and a renewed heaven. That's our glorious future. That's where the hope and the joy and everything else that we've been hearing of in, in, in the testimonies this evening finds its fulfillment. And I can't emphasize it this enough. We are not just going to be disembodied spirits floating around in some sort of strange ether. That's Plato. That's got nothing at all to do with the Bible. We are embodied people, and we live in life after life after death, as one theologian puts it. It's a glorious future on a renewed earth in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus. 
We've sung about that in, in, in that hymn, the song that was sung over us just now. Oh, what will it be like when I'm walking with you, when you're there by us? One of our other worship songs captures that day with great joy. It just says, one day he's coming, oh glorious day. It's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's exciting. And the renewed earth is a place where we will enjoy all of the beauty and good things that we enjoy now. All those things that God has created. A place where, as far as we can tell, we will recognize each other. And there will be a great party, as we do say. One writer puts it this way, this renewed earth will be no world-denying nirvana, but rather a place where human achievement receives divine affirmation. Now, it's interesting, this past week, as I've talked with people and they've heard what I'm going to be doing tonight, they, and I start talking about heaven, and they're saying, well, it'd be boring, all that worship. And I, I sort of just sort of wonder, what, what sort of church services have they been at? Um, in one of those testimonies tonight, that, 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 that wonderful story, which, which I've heard so many times now, of that night here a few weeks back, when, when as students you were here worshipping, and that real sense of heaven touching earth, and you didn't want the worship to stop. That's exciting, wasn't it? It wasn't boring. <laughs> think, think of all the other things that spark our praise given to God. That spark worship. Maybe it's a beautiful landscape. Walking up to the, the, the Corrie Lake at the foot of the Dachstein Glacier in the Alps. I just wanted to belt out worship songs and I got there because of the beauty of what I was seeing. Maybe it is a piece of music, whatever age that comes from. I know Anya and I will differ as to what age it comes from, but there'll be pieces of music we actually want to lap up with and find it's there. Maybe it's a painting that we look at, or it's the warmth of friendship and family. Some of you have talked about that in the testimonies this evening. That's going to continue. That's part of what it will be like when we, when we eventually get there into this renewed heaven and earth. So post-death, I believe, has two stages. There's a sort of an interim period where we're at rest, covered by God's love and God's presence. And then when he returns again, we will join with him and with those who have not died, but are of the faith on the world when he returns. And we will return to renewed heaven and a renewed earth. And it's going to be great. It really is. I love, I love that expression, the things that spark worship. That's really an amazing way of thinking about all that is going to last for eternity, as you're saying. Yeah. Um, so, Brian, how, what does this mean for us in terms of how we live now? What, what do we take away from this evening? Yeah. It means we begin to experience some of that now. I believe that's, that's the truth of this. When he writes again to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says that if we are in Christ, the renewed creation has come. The old has gone. The renewed has come. So in other words, if we have committed ourselves to Christ, as many of us here have, and certainly our baptism candidates have tonight, when we've committed ourselves to Christ, we begin to experience something of that renewal now. It isn't pie in the sky when we die. 
it's actually beginning to experience some of God's renewal in our lives now, today. In his earthly ministry, Jesus inaugurated the new kingdom, the renewed kingdom. He talks about the kingdom having come, or the kingdom of God is in you, or the kingdom is among you. And he calls us to be subject to and renewed by God's kingly rule, which is really what the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God is about. In writing to the church in Rome, Paul says that uh, all creation is longing eagerly for when that will come to its fulfillment when Christ returns. So even in the midst of our sinful failures, and we all get it wrong every day, every moment probably for some of us, certainly me, and we can still experience that renewing of God's Spirit in our lives, changing us, transforming us, and making us more like Jesus, which is what our destination will be like. Think for a moment perhaps of those Christian conferences or, or CU weekends or, or life weekends away that you've gone on. Those times when, even over mealtimes, there's been that sense of Jesus sitting at the meal table with you. Will we dance with him? Why not? That's there as well, I think. Think of being inspired in a concert or an art gallery or wherever it might be, and all of that coming to fruition again, and it's there always for us to enjoy without all the, the hang-ups of, of, of the sin that's around us now. But most of those passages that talk of Jesus coming almost immediately follow calls to us to live holy lives now, to dedicate ourselves to following Jesus, to dedicating ourselves to being renewed by his Spirit each day. There's one particular area that that's been, been applied in, I think, quite, quite heavily, in the area of creation care. Creation is going to be beautiful in that renewed heaven and renewed earth. But we have a duty now to actually begin to, to help creation to live that way today. And one writer says that, that our hope for the future is one of the things which acts as a pull to our involvement in creation care. But it's in a whole variety of other directions as well that we will be called to follow Jesus. And above all, this vision of the future whether we're asleep in Christ or resurrected with our imperishable bodies, that hope gives us comfort in the face of death. Whether, again, it's whether it's our own mortality or whether maybe it's the death of a loved one, a close friend, a member of a family. Those who are in Christ, there is this incredible future that's there for them and for us who believe. Jesus holds out his arms to us to invite us to go on that journey with him. And I guess the question tonight is, have you actually started that journey? Or are you about to start it? And do you want to start it? Thank you so much, Brian. May I invite the band back up?